Hello, everyone, and welcome back into another wonderful episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined by one of the performers from one of the best shows playing right now here in New York City, Tim Alanius, who plays Papa Longborn and Senator DeBerg in the production of Prejudice and Pride, playing now through August 20th at 59E59 Theatres. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting 59e59.org. And as we've always said, there's nothing bad playing at that theater. And this show is just a further testament of that statement because it's already getting great, great reviews, wonderful word of mouth. We can't wait to see this show coming up. And so we are so excited to bring you Tim on our show. So with that, welcome, Tim. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the invite to come talk about this show. I am very excited to learn more about the show, especially as I will admit out front, I haven't seen the show yet, but I'm very excited to see it. From all the clips that I've seen and everything I've read, this show sounds absolutely amazing. And as I admitted earlier, I had that ignorant moment where I was like, yes, country western, all this cool. I wonder what the story they're telling is. And I'm like, dude, the title. The title right there what is, you know so why don't we start by having you tell our listeners a little bit about what prejudice and pride is about well fantastic yeah it it, it is a retelling of jane austen's pride and prejudice it, we've those that's been done over the years in film and and stories and all that type of stuff for sure a few years back our, our co-creators nick collett and sam wright and sam plays the lead as well as one of the producers of the show thought nick's wife lorraine came up with this idea and why don't you retell this story and why don't you put it to this some folks call it country western we like to call it folk americana music sam had been playing the banjo for about 10 or 15 years in fact we were doing a show when he showed up in a dressing room with the banjo across his shoulder and like what are you doing there sam and he's like i think i'm gonna learn to play banjo this is literally 10 years ago when we were doing carousel at the Kansas city Rep. i'm like okay so that's fun but it's Pride and Prejudice is just a retelling of this Austin novel. And we set it in the foothills of Tennessee and Nashville and New York City. The music, that folk Americana music is influenced and was composed strictly on the banjo to start with by Sam. And the unique twist is that we gender swap the roles. So instead of Elizabeth Bennett, we have a Bennett Longbourn. Instead of a Fitzwilliam Darcy, we have Darcy Fitzwilliams and so on. And yeah, I play Papa Longbourn. And instead of the mother or the matriarch of the, of the family, I'm trying to get my boys married off to the rich debutantes that are coming in town that came in from New York City and that are buying up the land and buying up Nettie's Field and all that. So it's just a revision of this classic story. And they did a pretty fantastic job trying to stay to the true story of the script. In fact, we lifted passages from the novel and fit them into the storyline. So if you listen closely, you're like, that sounds very much like Jane Austen speaking right there. Wow, that sounds... So fantastic. I'm it's really a lot of fun. Now, how did you come upon this show? Well, Sam and I have known each other for a while. In fact, we since 2009, actually, we did Kiss of a Spider Woman at a theater in Kansas City. And in Kansas City, it's a, it's a pretty community. We all know each other really, really well. We support each other whenever we can. You know, whenever you'll be in a show with somebody two or three times over the course of five years. And, you know, it's it's pretty simple that way. But he was developing this idea from Nick and, and Lorraine back in, I guess it was, you know, 2020. And then in about 2021, he reached out to me, said he had this idea. In fact, it was over one of our weekly, uh, we played poker every two weeks with a bunch of theater folks. 
And he's like, I got this idea. Can you hit a high A? And I'm like, oh, well, that's a different story. But just wanted to see what my range might be because he's writing this in a certain way. And I'm like, sure, we can give it a shot. But still in his infancy, we, I said, sure. I said, I love, because I love doing new work. It really is great. You don't really get the burden of all the history of the previous performances. You know, you get something to just take on yourself and craft it in your way. So we've been working on it since, yeah, I guess it'd be about 2021. We had a few readings and a few performances and it's been just kind of building steam since then wonderful well what has it been like developing prejudice and pride it's been really organic to be honest i mean they came up with the the story and the songs and sam will be the first one to tell you he's not a songwriter per se and he's definitely not an orchestrator so he just had these songs in his head and on tangent but one of the songs came directly out of the a proposal that he did to his wife it was the way he proposed to his wife and proposed marriage to it. And that song is essentially revisited in this show later on, which is a, it's a lovely just homage to what he and his relationship with his wife is. But Nick, our director, he was mostly in England for the early stages of this rehearsal process. We would Zoom him in, and which would probably be like 11, 12 o'clock his time and at night. And he'd stick around until he just couldn't stay awake anymore. We'd keep working on it, but we always went through the process that the best idea in the room wins. So it wasn't like there wasn't one clear path stated that this is the way it has to be. And that's the way it's only going to be. We were encouraged to come up with the ideas. We were encouraged to try new things. Nick and Sam would also always have the final say on things. But it was really open to the thing. In fact, you'll, we could probably go back to the original script and you'll see things on the show that weren't in that original script because it's just become part of our, I don't know, nomenclature, part of our culture in doing the show that we just... There's a character, Lyle Longmore, who his catchphrase is shoey, like shoey. And there is not that written one time in the script, but it's something that the actor just brought to the scene and brought to the character. And it's just become something that happens. And I appreciate that organicness. Now, we, Nick's had to rein everybody in, for sure, at times, and say, yeah, that is a good idea, but maybe not right now. And when we present the show, we try to present the same show each and every night. But it was a lot of fun developing this work, just being given that creative license to craft a character as as we as we embraced it, which was kind of neat. That sounds like so much fun. Now, I just want to ask, uh, how long have you all been working on the show? When did it originally kind of get conceived? So Lorraine had the idea. Sam was doing a show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. He was doing Crazy Horse, uh, a one-man version of the Crazy Horse, and Nick was directing him in that. And so they're all living together, staying at living the three of them together and Lorraine had this idea of Pride and Prejudice as as a musical uh, like because Sam has been, had really been playing around with the banjo a lot more and then COVID happened and so everything shut down and so they really started hitting it hard in 2020 weekly or every two weeks zone calls hashing out the script they'd send pages back and forth to each other Sam would write another song and then send it to Nick and Nick would see how it fold into the show and then Sam had came up to me in 2021, the spring of such, and then to see if I'm interested in it in about May of 2021, he says, I think we're going to do a little reading of this in August of 2021. And I just gotten done doing another reading of another musical from Kansas City, and then we put this on, and it was pretty well received. It was at my space in the, at the Black Box Theater in Kansas City, where we put it on the outside stage. We put it on the outside stage, and a few folks showed up. The Jane Austen Society ladies showed up, and they really appreciated it. And then we pocketed it for a while they tweaked some things and then we brought it back in april for another reading 
And then he got, this was the uh, new artist grant from Music Theater Heritage in Kansas City, where he gave us a three-week run on stage with the use of all production values that we could. And we did a full running of it last summer, 2022, for a three-week one that was really, really well-received. And it was really nice because they gave us a precursor for the run that then they took the show to Edinburgh Fringe last summer and ended up winning Best of Fringe for musicals by many of the critics that were out there. Unfortunately, I couldn't make that trip. I had other obligations. I just couldn't leave my life for a month at that time. So somebody else stepped in and took over my role and the role of the guitarist for the mute in the band. But it was really, really well received. It gave, and I think that I would say that when you, one of the things they benefited from that is that they had to condense this two-hour musical down into a 90-minute musical and even a 75-minute musical because of the slot times. And what that gave them was the ability to really kind of tighten up the story and cut away the parts that maybe weren't as necessary. So when they came back this year, it's a tight little two-hour piece that presents itself really seamlessly. And it, it, it amazes me how much smoother it is this time around, too. Fantastic. Wow. What a journey. It's been one, for sure. For sure. Now, is there a message or a thought that you all are hoping the audience will take away when they leave the show? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, we're all prone to judge each other without a full-fledged knowledge of who each other is. It's really easy in the beginning of the story how Darcy and Bennett really clash early on because each one has certain perceptions of each other. And, and throughout the course of the story, they start to show care and affection for each other but it's there's a lot of barriers and hurdles to jump over to get that we hope that when people leave the audience in fact we say this at the end of each show afterwards and we thank the audience for being in there and we we say that you know live theater we truly and honestly believe is an exchange of of energy between the audience and the performance you know within that energy there's uh, there's this opportunity for a miracle to happen right so uh, an audience member is watching they can feel something comes from it and a performer has an exchange with the audience where they infect them deeply. And through that storytelling, that miracle can make all of us maybe a little more kinder, a little more empathetic, a little more wiser. And, you know, we truly believe that the world is really kind of needing that right now. So when we can have folks leave and feel like they've been impacted by that miracle and share that with somebody else down the road, then it just kind of pays itself forward. So. That is a wonderful message and a wonderful idea that I hope many audience members are leaving with. Well, my final question for this first part of the interview is who do you hope have access to this show? Well, so I thought about that. We talked about that at the show when we're when we first bring it out here. I mean, we really think this is the show for everybody. There's really, I mean, it's a very family-friendly show for sure. The music is very addictive. It has it's chock full of earworms. But we also recognize the fact that, you know, doing producing, and Sam will be the first to say this, producing a two-hour musical on this day and age is not a cheap thing. They've been doing most of this kind of off the backs of, of their own skin and, and and with money from, you know, the donations that we've been able to pull in. But, you know, I kind of came to New York hoping that we may find a venue or an avenue or an agency or, or a producer that might want to pick this up and take it someplace else, take it back the road up the, up the street, maybe, maybe in another theater. or maybe, I mean, we've always had hopes of doing a West End production of this at some point or another. We can get the producers to want to buy into that. Whether that be with this cast or another cast, I just want Sam and Nick and Sam's wife, Danielle, who's been doing one of primarily most of the fundraising for this, to really, you know, be able to take this story farther because that's, it's a, I think it's a story that needs to be heard. 
And I think it needs to be told in the manner that we're told telling it. And I think that we're breaking down some preconceived notions of, of that kind of music too, that folks are like, is it just a bunch of hicks up there doing some stuff? But no, it's, it's, the music is just effortless and seamless and sounds fantastic together. And it's simple and it's easy to produce nine, nine actors and, and a couple three musicians. We take the music through the show all the way through. So it's really retainable and reachable to almost any audience members that are out there. So that's who we're hoping for. switch things up now for the second part of our interview and on the second part we like to give our listeners a chance to get to know our guests a little bit better on a personal level and i want to start by asking you what or who inspires you what playwrights composers or shows have inspired you in the past or are just some of your favorites oh yeah i mean that's a good question i have i mean i've been doing theater in some form or fashion since i was in high school the first show I ever did was in Sinkable Molly Brown at a community theater in my hometown of Kansas. And and Pippin after that, and then off into college, and I went to Kansas State and, and Murray State and Louisville over the course of several years. I traveled with the performance troupe, up with people. So music has always been involved in my life in some form or fashion, and theater has always been something that I love doing. I remember listening to Keith Herman and Barry Herman's score of Romance, Romance, years ago with Alison Frazier and Scott Bakula and just falling in love with this two-person storytelling mindset. Uh, the music was so effortless, and but then they took a twist and changed time frame of, of back in the past and a more modern telling. I love when we get to bend time, when we get to go back in time and see something from a different perspective, or when we get to see music music in a manner that you're you're taking it from a different perspective. Moulin Rouge, I think, is an interesting piece just because it it takes songs that we know in our nomenclature and then changes the meaning because they put it into the storyline. I think that some of the music that's coming out today in musical theater is is fascinating. I think that we're constantly trying to find new ways of reinventing the, the industry. But I do think that things like Hamilton will always be something that I will will almost be a baseline for me to some degree because of its creativity. And it's a manner that I reached out to something like that. I do love the the works of Tom Stoppard and and those other folks like uh, David Robbie and and some folks like that. Whenever I get a piece to to sink my teeth into from a, a theatrical perspective, just a straight acting piece, it it thrills me. We did a, a lot a staged version of Shawshank Redemption, which was the first North American production in the United States last. I guess it was two or three years ago. And just to te- take that piece of work and bring it to life on the stage. And, finding nuances from these stories that a lot of people know, but they haven't seen it in that manner. It's just, it's a lot of fun. And then some of the classics, I just got done doing Iceman Comet, which no one ever does anymore because it's just epically long and huge. And you have to find the right cast for it. We had a really nice run of that in Kansas City this spring or this January. So, you know, I look at theater as being a vehicle. I'd, I, at one point I wanted it to be my career. Then I had kids and, you know, Theater doesn't always feed the kids on a full-time basis. So I had to craft my own business and, and do it that way. But theater has always 
even through this process last summer when we were in the show thinking that I should probably just retire just because it was so hard and so difficult to wrap my head around. I know that I wasn't going to just because it fulfills too much of the need that I have to just share those emotions that I have built up within me with the audience that are out there. I love the audience reactions to things. I really do. I, I'm not a slave to it by any means whatsoever. If we don't have a very vocal audience, it doesn't ruin my performance by any means. But I do think that that exchange between the audience and performance is something that I look for, that I thrive upon, that I think is, is something that we can, we as actors just, I don't know, I think that we, none of us would probably want to admit the fact that we we want that and feed off of it. But I do think that we as actors really appreciate that connection whenever we're doing something with an audience member. It's a little bit of fantasy. So that's kind of where I am. I think that if a show is going to take me to a place so I just saw a good night Oscar yesterday, which was fantastic. I think I didn't see the other Tony nominated actor roles and, and what they did, but I certainly saw what John Hayes did yesterday. And I, I, I'm not shocked that he won the Tony for that. And it was the physicality, the, the vocal inflections that he took upon himself, which is so such a step away from everything else that I've ever seen him do. I mean, the musicality, sure. Yeah. Everybody knows he's a phenomenal classic pianist but his physical and acting capabilities on that stage were just unbelievable and i watch that and think that's what i think an actor should strive for is to to take what people think of you and have them forget who you are because they're watching you be something else you lose yourself in that character they the audience loses themselves in watching that character and then not for a second after the first audience applaud, even did I think that Sean Hayes was on stage? I just thought it was Oscar LeVant. And I thought it was just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yes. Yes, absolutely. A wonderful collection of inspirations. Well, I want to ask now, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? So when I told my folks back in 1986 that I was going to go study theater in college, they're like, uh, what's your backup plan? like I didn't have one so I got involved in the technical theater side of things I, for years I built sets I was a lighting designer for years I was a tech director for years I started a theater company in Kansas or in, in Atlanta which is still going it's an improv theater company now where I built the entire space out I found that the more you can get involved in theater and all different aspects of it the more you can stay within the theater which is great I do think that moment when the collective comes together all the different parts the writers, directors, the composers, the set builders, the scenic designers, the sound engineers, the, the lighting designers, the lighting techs, the paint charges, everybody coming in for, I mean, let's, let's be honest, most theater and especially in the markets like Kansas City, we're not making a, a fortune off of it. Most people are coming in and they're getting a small amount of money for the amount of work that they're actually putting into. And we wish we could pay them more, but the money's just not there and we get that but they're still committed to doing that and watching folks come in and do what they do extremely well in the field that they're focused on is, is kind of a thing of beauty. It's, it's, it's part of that cog of a machine that just runs so effortlessly. I made a comment though, the other day to somebody that, you know, but it's hard. Theater's not easy. And, and people don't see that because they see the final performances often, but we spend hours, and hours and hours of dealing with rejection and, and disappointment and and just misses and and wins and losses and characterizations that fail and 
audiences responsive that are high and low. And we have to deal with all of that and process it. And for some reason we keep coming back and doing it again. It's, it's crazy, but on the same lines, it's just, I hearken it to that time when you're on the golf course and you hit that one shot and it goes right up next to the pen. And you think that you're going to do that each and every time. So you keep going back and back again. When you have a good show and a great performance, you want to show up the next day and do it again. And there are elements that keep you from having that great show. Sure. You know, it could be your animals at your home gave you problems before you left for the theater. It could be that, you know, the rain came right before you walked out and now you're drenched. It could be that the audience is just not being responsive like you want. It could be there's someone in the cast that, you know, says something off color that you, sets you off to the side. Or there's someone in the cast is having a really great day and you're not having a great day. We're an emotional being. So, you know, we, we, we respond to whatever our environment gives us and we try to do the best we can. But for those two hours or two and a half or an hour and a half or whatever, you get to step away from your reality and just walk into this world where you get to do what it is that you've worked and worked and worked to do. I mean, we do this over and over and over again in rehearsal to get it perfect. And then we're expected to go out on stage and act like it's the first time we've ever done it. And I think that skill set is one of the things that keeps having me come back to it because that's interesting to follow into that line. So that's a long way of trying to answer a question. I'm not sure I really answered, but I do think that my favorite aspect of the theater is just that whole process form. And especially with new works like this, Prejudice and Pride that we're doing is like from that beginning where we have this idea to a full-fledged production where we're all just putting our hearts and, and sweat and tears and backs into getting this up and running. You know, when we got into town, we didn't have a tech crew. We didn't have a set build crew. We had a lighting designer from New York that we hired to help design this piece, but we brought our set with us and we were putting together and finding new angles and trying to figure things out in this new space. And, but we all came in and, and did it together because we all supported the work. I love that answer, though. That is a great lead into my favorite question to ask us, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? All right, so I was an, I was an acting intern at the Alliance Theater in, in Atlanta, Georgia. I got done with my bachelor's degree did a year of Summerstock Children's Theater and then landed into the intern program at the Alliance Theater when they had a two-year intensive. And it was a part-time intern program. It's kind of like a, I didn't go to grad school. I did the intern program at the Alliance. And so we got to work with local actors, directors. Kenny Leon was the artistic director at the Alliance at that particular time. So we got to work with him. It was so great just walking around. I see he's doing, you know, Hamlet or directing Hamlet at the public and in the park, which is really, really cool. I'm just, I could not be more proud of the career path that his his career has gone. He's he's a fantastic director, really innovative. And but we were doing as as in the intern program, part of our responsibility was to understudy main stage show. We'd have our classes and our workshops and stuff like that in the evenings. Most people had a day job, but we'd also have to come and understudy all the shows. And we were assigned a show based off our body type or whatever. David H. Bell was doing Boys in Syracuse. He was just associate artistic director down there. And he, Boys from Syracuse is a um, retelling, a musical retelling of Two Gentlemen of Verona. And they had a couple, I was understanding one of the two twins, the poor pauper twins, one of which was Jack Plotnick, who's gone on to do um, theater and television film. So I was understanding one of those roles. I'd been around the show, watching it, watching it. Rob Bowman, who is the music director for Chicago, who was one of the music directors back then. He and I became really good friends. We talked about the show and all that. I'm working for the theater 
on a children's tour who were touring around and I get a call saying that I need to come to the show. Well, I'm, I might have to go on. I'm like, what are you talking about? Jack had gotten a pilot series in LA and he wanted to take it up on it. And Kenny's like, if you do that, it's going to, you're never going to work in this town again, whatever. I'm um, Jack's like, well, I'm going to go be in TV. So I'm going to do that. So they called me in and then I was opposite this other guy. And I, I mean, pardon me, it's been 25 years. I can't remember his name, but our height difference was just a little bit too much. So they decided they needed to bring somebody up from the chorus. And then I would take over that chorus track. So I had two days to relearn an entire track, dance, scat, singing, the whole thing. And the chorus member that came up was none other than Hunter Bell, who wrote Title of Show years later. And he took over that role. And, and it was a very physical role, tossing people around on stage, flipping and turning, all that type of stuff. It was extremely physical. But it was just one of those experiences that for, them, for the next two weeks, I got to be a professional actor on an equity stage on a Lorty stage or be stage performing and doing living a dream and doing everything that I wanted to be doing. But I had a weekend to completely learn a new track, completely learn all new songs. I literally came out the first moment of the show and scat sang with two other people on a microphone, never having done anything like that before. So it was, it was just those, those understudies and those swings, those folks that have to be there and be ready. I never have been more appreciative of that. And, until that moment that i think to my to this day is probably one of my favorite my favorite theatrical experience that's incredible what a tale right wow thank you so much for sharing that memory i want to ask as we wind things down do you have any other projects or productions coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you let's see we're doing I don't have for myself. I'm, I just shot a film in Kansas City about the story of Nellie Don. It's a master length mu- uh, movie musical. Nellie Don was America's first self made millionaire. She was a seamstress and she created an entire wardrobe line of aprons and smocks. She wanted, she thought the housewife should look stylish and fashionable. So she created some of these aprons and the things like that to turn into an entire industry. And she, and it and may settle herself into Kansas City. In fact, you could still find Nellie Don dresses and, and patterns out in the stores in the Hancocks or whatever they are, the, the stores you could find them. But in 1925, she was part of a scandal where she was kidnapped along with her driver and held for ransom. And she was in a relationship at the time with Senator James A. Reed, who was a former senator of the United States, former mayor of Kansas City, a lawyer who was 30 years her senior. She was in, unhappy in a relationship with her husband. She was looking for some legal advice on another thing, and they fell in love with each other and had a child out of wedlock. It was all kind of hush-hush. But this is a story about part of, partially about her story life and the, and the kidnapping and how he went straight to the mob and said, either you help us find who kidnapped her or I'm going to expose you on national radio and everybody that's in your organization and threatened her. And they found her within an hour after that kind of threat. And the Writer and director Terrence O'Malley crafted these um, pieces. It was songs written by Daniel Doss, a local Kansas City musician and composer who's a phenomenal composer and talent. And we crafted this film for them. We've been shooting it for the last couple of years, and we just got a first viewing of it a couple weeks back. And it was really great. It's fun to play. It's, I never thought I'd say, in addition to ever thinking that I'd ever do an off-Broadway show, I never thought I'd say I'd be doing one of the leads in a movie musical in my life. So it's just, here we are. It's kind of fun. So that's supposed to be coming out sometime this fall. It'll have its Kansas City release and, and we'll see if it goes other places. You never know with film. 
And then Sam, who wrote this piece, he's currently doing some research and development on a couple of new musical idea with Nick, with Nicola Paulette Productions. And they're producing two shows at next year's Edinburgh Fringe Festival, Ghosts of a Smile, based on the Dickens stories, and, and Gold, about, about a famous 1980s fake heist gone wrong. So they are still working together as as always. They have a lifelong partnership. I think that's going to continue on, and and hopefully we'll find some more creative ways as they did with Prejudice and Pride to find some of the some new work that's coming out there. I think all the cast members have some some things coming up in the future. Each and every one of them works as as an actor whenever they get a chance. I know some folks are going. This is using it as a springboard to move to New York City. Some folks are planning on just going back to Kansas City to their regular day jobs and waiting for the next show to come around. But all of us, this this is all this is all of our off Broadway debuts. So it's it's kind of neat for all of us to explore this this poss- all the possibilities that come out from this. So I love that. That's so exciting. It's going cool. Well, finally, if our listeners want more information about Prejudice and Pride or about you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do so? Well, Prejudice and Pride, they can. Always go to 59e59.org. You get the links to tickets right there. We do have, even on our program, when you come to the show, there's a, a digital download. You can buy the cast album. We recorded this album last, I guess it was April of 20, May of 2022. So we have all these albums on a track on a CD or a download. You can find out more about all the shows. And, and 59e59, I, I need to plug them just a little bit because it really is a fantastic organization. They've been super supportive. They've reached out and, and been very good caretakers of us and their new production. Any productions they have in there, they have two other spaces that are also producing shows at the same time. I could not speak more highly about them and what they do. As for me, I'm, I'm one of those people that's too busy running my business to run my business. So unfortunately, no website or anything like that. Just have to see what happens the next time I'm out there. Catch me on Facebook, I guess, or Instagram, and we'll go from there. Perfect. Well, Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and chat about this incredible show and some of your incredible memories and insight. This has been wonderful. So thank you so much. I appreciate it, Andrew. I know it's a, it's kind of a weird time right now in the world of theater and television and, and with everything that's going on with the unions and, you know, we're supportive of each and every one of them. You know, the film industry is going through this weird thing right now, but live theater is still going on. I know that there's a potential Aussie movement that's going on right now and that can affect some Broadway stuff but you know some of these off-Broadway shows aren't necessarily prone to those concerns and so please continue to go out there and support these actors and support these theater makers and support these these folks that are just trying to get these stories out it's unfortunate that, that we have these times when we have to look at the business side of this craft it's important that we do look at it and we adhere to that and we make sure that everybody's taken care of like they should be but in the end, we just want to be storytellers. And I hope that folks understand that. And we want to come out and be those storytellers. And I hope we can get more people to come out and see it. I love that. Yes. Well said. Well said. My guest today has been Tim Alanius, who is a performer in the new show Prejudice and Pride. He plays Papa Longborn and Senator DeBerg. And this show, this wonderful show, is playing now through August 20th at 59E59 Theaters. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting 59e59.org. And you are going to want to get your tickets to see the show. It's a wonderful story, fabulous music. Amazing cast. It's been getting nothing but great reviews, amazing word of mouth. We can't wait to see it and hopefully see you there and share this amazing show. It's Prejudice and Pride playing now through August 20th at 59E59 Theaters. 
So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. Hello.